having been in established firm, you see best practice, you learn so much, but there are typically a lot more layers of bureaucracies and your ideas kind of gets lost or your influence kind of gets diluted as they work up the ranks, if you will. And that's the way that traditionally a bigger corporation are structured because they kind of have to, because they need to be organized. You know, They have many micro function, many micro businesses to be able to operate at such a large scale level. Coming from there to a smaller firm where I can draw from the you know, best practice of the bigger firm establishments and know what good looks like, I can take that in and build that for Minerva. Hi, I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. My guest for this episode works for a startup that was awarded FinTech Organization of the Year in 2022 here in Australia. Manuva is a leading B2B payment solution provider in the growing and exciting world of FinTech startups. And the reason why I'm interested to bring startups as a topic of conversation on the Job Hunting podcast is driven by demand. As an example, the day before I interviewed Emily Zank, who is their chief people officer at Manuva, I had a full day of coaching sessions with clients who were either starting a new job at a startup or keen to include startups in the mix of consideration as they navigate their way out of jobs they're unhappy with. As most of my clients are mid to senior level professionals, they often come up from a more structured organization. So the high growth, nimble and high energy world of startups is both alluring and a bit scary for them. When preparing for my chat with Emily, I was looking for her guidance as to how you can decide if startup is for you and how to navigate the different culture that you may find if you do what she did, which is go from a global consulting firm or a large bank and take the risk of joining a startup and helping them grow. What I got was way more than what I bargained for. Emily has an interesting personal story to tell that I hope will resonate with many of you. This is an episode that I know many of my clients will enjoy listening to, and I hope that you do too. When you listen to this episode, you may listen to a few words that you're not familiar with, so I want to give you some background on that so that you can go to the episode show notes and find more information. For example, Emily mentioned that she worked at Yellow Folder, and in fact, I interviewed the CEO and founder of Yellow Folder, Julian Doherty, a couple of years ago. I'll have that episode linked below. I also mentioned Karen James who is a former general manager at the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, a bank that Emily worked for. So I mentioned Karen 
and I interviewed her for this podcast, so I'll have a link to it below. I also mentioned the importance of alumni in career progression. I, I brought it up because Emily mentioned how important it was that she was connected with the KPMG alumni. So I did mention that we had recorded an episode about this, and that's episode 178. There will be a link to it below as well. And finally, if you want to learn more about working in startups, I also interviewed the co-founder of Mindset Health. And that's another great Aussie startup on its way to becoming a unicorn. And the episode is number 47. I will have a link to all of these episodes, like I said, in the show notes. So make sure that you subscribe to the Job Hunting Podcast. There's just so many great episodes that we have already recorded and so many other great ones to come. This episode is brought to you by Talent Predicts, the state-of-the-art strengths assessment test that all my private and group coaching clients have used to identify their sweet spots or career DNA. That's the combination of their top talents, their career drivers, and their personal values. So if you want to know if you can potentially thrive in an entrepreneurial environment like a startup, Talent Predicts can be a great tool to help you with that. You will know what your talents are, learn about your strengths, and have this comprehensive personal report describing when and where you are at your best, areas that you can trip up if you're not careful. It is so much easier to talk about your strengths at job interviews when you have a Talent Predicts report at hand to prepare for those interviews. So if you want to do your Talent Predicts assessment with me, go to my website, renatabernardi.com, that's R-E-N-A-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-R-D-E.com, and there will be a service there called Find My Talents, and that's the Talent Predicts assessment. So Go to the episode show notes if you couldn't quite get the link to my website and you will find the Talent Predicts assessment ready for you and you will have it in no time. Okay, so let's get to know Emily Zhang. I begin by apologizing to her about some technical issues we had as we were recording, but I hope you won't even notice them. Here we go. Look, I'm sorry that we had all these technical issues. That's not a big problem for us. We try to do the best possible sound possible, but if we can't, I think that the value of having guests like you on the podcast, it brings some, well, for me, <laughs> I do many of the episodes by myself, right? So it it's becomes really boring, but it also adds some color and flavor to the conversation. Most of our guests are recruiters. They are talent acquisition managers. They are CEOs. They're, you know, people that are interested in recruitment and selection of candidates and work in this field and bring to the listeners a whole bunch of intelligence that I can't do by myself. So that's wonderful, Emily, that you've accepted the invitation to speak. And I know it's something different for you. So I really, really value you attending and coming on board to talk. You know, the first thing that I'd love to hear from you is for you to share with the listeners a little bit of a career story, because one thing that fascinated me when I saw your LinkedIn profile is that you have moved from sectors and you have moved industries. And that's something that a lot of job hunters want to do as well. So I'd love to hear how you ended up in a startup fintech after working in government, after working in big banks. Tell me a little bit about how that happened. Yes, I have a very interesting background, a little bit of 
you know, my personal career development goals, but also a bit of luck and opportunity. You know what they say, the opportunity and mix between the luck and your, you know, personal achievements. So it's a bit like that. So I started off out of uni where I graduated as an organization psychologist. So I wanted really to get into any kind of people focused business. And I knew that, you know, the big four thing being the Deloitte, KPMG, PwC and EY was where I wanted to be. They do a lot of people focused change management, behavioral change management, organization design. And that is exactly where I wanted to be. But it took me a very long time to get there, as you can imagine. I wasn't exactly a grad, but also it's very competitive. When I left my master's, I started work at Yellow Folder, which was talent research, executive management, but with a real people and all design focus on the way you recruit. It's not very traditional. So that was terribly interesting. Got a lot of insight into how business was set up and how they developed their capability from a structure point of view. So from there, I was lucky enough to have been in touch with a lot of recruiters across the big four, but also a now partner at KPMG and got introduced and presented what I wanted to do and my experience and background in org psych and my passion for And here I, oh, there I was. <laughs> I spent three of also years at KPMG hell of a lot, um, have met and continued to be part of a very, very talented group of ex-consultants. It's continued to be working with them across my career. I still very much in touch with all the partners and we have a very close knit, you know, alumni, KVMG alumni that we still bounce off ideas and, you know, try to solve problems together. So it's been terribly rewarding being at KPMG. Um, learned so much and met some incredible people. And then I somewhat became a mum, single mum. <laughs> so I needed a change because uh -huh. consulting at the time pre-COVID took a lot of you know, traveling and you had to be on site with a clot. And I was still transitioning back as a part-time, a single mum. And so I had some conversations with recruiters and knew that I wanted to continue my work in change management. I wasn't done learning what I can do there. And at the time, pre-COVID, a lot of the Australian big four banks, CBA, ANZ, Westpac and NAB, were looking for change managers to help them uplift their systems and process in terms of the restoration that came out of the Royal Commission recently. And so... I was based in Melbourne at the time and got a call saying CBA had a extremely exciting opportunity as a change manager in the risk remediation stream, exactly what I was looking for. But of course it was in Sydney. <laughs> never was that in my side. Never was that really an interest of mine to move, especially being a single mum. Everything and everyone was back in Melbourne. But a couple of weeks later with the manager and a very persuasive recruiter here I am in Sydney 
<laughs> yes, well, that's fantastic. I love that story so much. A couple of things that were highlights for me was when you mentioned the importance of the alumni after you left KPMG. Yeah. And we actually recorded an episode exactly about that in touch with alumni and how strong they're becoming in the corporate world, especially in the consulting area. But also big corporates now have great alumni and that really resonated with me. And I want to, people that are listening, I want them to go to the episode show notes and have a listen about the importance of connecting with alumni. And the other thing that you mentioned was, you know, CBA. Now we recorded an episode with Karen James. I don't know if you've crossed paths with her, but she created that sort of women in leadership program inside CBA that was quite sort of well-known and had some amazing retreats pre-COVID that women could attend yes. up in Noosa or Byron Bay. And Karen and I, I recorded an episode with her a few years ago. And such a great place to work, I find, for women. Every time I used to go to to the Commonwealth Bank, you know, I went there quite often at the head office. I felt a good vibe. Yes, Yes, well, they have a brand yeah. new, so when I started, we were still based in the CBD here, but then um, we then moved to South Everly office, which is a brand spanking new. It was all about, you know, collaboration, it was hubs and there were eateries and it's, you know, it was like a mini Google office, if you will. And it was a great place to work. They were very yeah. inclusively and they were very understanding of our, you know, work-life balance, being a single mom going back in full-time, I felt very supported. And then to finish off that where I am now, <laughs> of course, to a couple of years into the role, I got a call <laughs> from an ex-KPMG partner saying she's working with an investment group which is helping my current company, Maneuver, scale and separate from their parent group, but they're going out as a startup they are going to expand and do incredible things in the financial tech industry in the way of payments. And they are looking for a CPO, a chief people officer. So the interesting thing is I've actually never done HR as such. <laughs> so that was a completely transparent from the start. Having a conversation with our CEO, Christian, that was very much laid out as a first topic I want to talk about because I had never done HR, but I've never ran an HR operations team, but we had worked with HR business partners and worked with HR team extensively through all my career. So we knew how it could looks like, but have I led a team or, you know, led an operation? No, but they wanted someone that was strong in the people and culture development piece, the talent retention and attraction, the recruitment strategy piece, and also just in general strategy, not all design. So, which is obviously something that I have strength in, which I've done before. And so I think everyone took, a, it's a sliding door moment. Everyone took a risk on both sides. Very stressful for me for the first few months, <laughs> finding my feet. You know, I was feeling a resource gap that was, that probably should have been filled months before. So as you can imagine, as soon as I landed, everyone had something for me to assist with and support with, as well as implementing a HR system across the board for maneuver, separating from the parents group, recontracting everyone, just transitioning everyone over in the most fair and equitable way from money tech to maneuver. And so 
It was an incredible journey at the start because I obviously didn't have a team at the time. But here I am <laughs> again. That's impressive. Yes. Yeah. Emily, I didn't pick up on the HR experience. I picked up on you changing from a big bank to a startup. Yeah. I thought that was already, you know, such a big risk for you and a yeah. challenge. But it's sort of kind of there are layers there, right? And I'm super interested. One thing that I picked up when you're describing Yellow Folder was the org structure and that sort of knowledge and understanding of that. Does that help when you're in a sort of high growth demerger startup as well, where you need yeah. to kind of figure out what the best org structure is moving forward? Absolutely. I think what the skills and the work that we did at Yellow Folder helped me to resolve the problems that we have, well, you know, as we grow and scale, we're always going to be looking for solutions to mature and improve. But the skills I took from that is always benchmark and always consider what others are doing, whether they're competitors or they are an amazing organization and how it works and what works for them. So I always, I take that into everything that I do here at Maneuver to conduct that empirical research and bring in options for the leadership team and the board to consider what would work for Maneuver and the pros and cons. So yes, that was extremely valuable. But I think that is the approach to everything that we do is cut the fat, get to the point and seek, you know, options yeah. that we can tailor to what we need. Because we are a unique business in a way. It's been a startup fintech in this environment and being payments. We don't have that many competitors, but we have a long way to go to be absolutely profitable and to be global. Yeah. That's so interesting because when clients of mine, and just yesterday I had this conversation with a client that just joined a startup, tech, not fintech, and the first thing that she noticed was the org structure mm. and the reporting lines or lack of, you know, and yes. she's still finding her feet and she started with another colleague and she's kind of like, she's enjoying it. Just like, okay, this is different. Mm. This is interesting. not used to this. And the colleague is not taking it so well, you know, just <laughs> that nimble, sort of super flexible, especially because in this case, there were product managers and program managers, or the, the two men I'm talking about. And I think that they are so used to a highly structured matrix yes. environment. This is your reporting line. This is, you know, your yes. partnering. Everything's ready made. Yes, yeah, startups definitely wouldn't have such a structured environment for right. them, right? Yes. So, yes, I think, you know, for some of the people listening who are in sort of established bricks and mortar, kind of more traditional institutions and have this dream of, yeah, oh, I'd love to work for a, a startup. I can think of quite a few of my clients who have that idea mm. of, you know, the fintech world. What are the things they need to look out for and, and see if they have the strength and the career drive to actually embrace the change? So from where I am, I can speak from having been in a small consulting firm, a global, you know, big four consulting firm, having been in small organizations like now, but also established at CBA. And there are pros and cons to both. And at the end of the day, it's A, a bit of your drive, a bit of resilience and how much influence you're liking your role. We, know we always talk about autonomy. I think everyone is across the board, doesn't matter if you're a big business, small, 
business autonomy is there, but how much influence you have in your role is a different story. So having been in established firmly see best practice, you learn so much, but there are typically a lot more layers of bureaucracies and your ideas kind of gets lost or your influence kind of gets diluted as they work up the ranks, if you will. And that's the way that traditionally a bigger corporation are structured because they kind of have to, because they need to be organized. You know, They have many micro function, many micro businesses to be able to operate at such a large scale level. Coming from there to a smaller firm where I can draw from the you know, best practice of the bigger firm establishments and know what good looks like, I can take that in and build that for Maneuver. So that has been really helpful for me for what the best practice I've seen, we can bring it in. And as we bring in more talent and resource from bigger corporations who are in the same boat that they are, you know, you kind of get lost of the purpose of what they're doing. They're coming into startup to make a difference. Everyone is rolling up their sleeves. Everyone's bringing in external ideas, best practice to make, to make maneuver grow. And that's what's so exciting. I mean, exhausting <laughs> at times being at a such small firm is we all get to putting ideas and work out what's best. And we all have a direct influence into how maneuver scales, which is terribly exciting. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to be dedicated to the cause of it, the business and each other, to build things from scratch. You know, it takes a lot and take everyone on the journey. And we have, you know, resources. We have talent that inherited from the older money tech parent group. We have new resources. So it's finding the balance between what works, you know, for someone that has been in that family business for such a long time. And for those that's come from the big established firms that are kind of frustrated by the way we're doing things, because as we slowly set scale and improve, yeah. it's going to be teething periods. But you need resilience more than anything. You need to be flexible both ways. You know, you need to work for a company that values you as an employee, but you need to give back that flexibility as well. I'm a single mum, full-time single mum, and with everyone back in Melbourne, But the balance that I have is sometimes I do need to go and do a Mother's Day breakfast or go into school to do something, parent-teacher interviews or whatnot, but I can pick things up at night and that's a flexibility that I do enjoy. It's not for everyone, but having that freedom to be able to do that, it means a lot. It works for you. One of the things that can be a, a really big issue and a friction for onboarding new people into startups from a coach perspective, right, is when they realize that the lack of resources, mm. that they are not able to kind of delegate and sometimes not even escalate some of the things that are happening. People need to have that autonomy and take that responsibility and get their hands dirty yeah. as well. And I always remind my clients that they also have the ability to influence where the growth is going. Yeah. And if that they feel it's time to add resources that they can put the case forward, which yeah. sometimes in big organizations, you kind of they get lost in translation. They don't feel like they have that opportunity. But in a startup world, you have those sprints, right? You yes. have the sprint and you can influence where it goes. How do you feel this is best done by people that are on the ground and that they feel like there's an opportunity here for for additional resources to improve the performance of a project or a team? 
in terms of someone in a startup or yes or term somebody in a startup let's say they've joined the startup okay. they're either an engineer or a project manager or and oh. then they think look this is actually not going forward not because i can't do it but because there isn't the resources okay. aren't here yeah okay so what you just spoke of the joys of being in a smaller company is being able to influence and being able to ask and request and being heard but also you know, the challenges of a smaller company as we scale is the balance between investments and cash flow, profit revenue. So as we scale, we put in dedicated the money into the resource, but now we need to catch up in terms of how we scale as a you know business revenue growth. So the, always the conversation, anything that we do in terms of initiatives, benefits, resources, anything that has material commercial impact, we need to think of it as how do you set up the business case for it? We do have a board that we closely work with and every month as a CPO, I write my own chief people officer report on everything to do with people. What is the spend, turnover, the productivity? Everything needs to make sense in terms of how does that translate to revenue? So you can ask yeah. for a person, you can ask for a resource, but what does that mean? You know, why are we doing that? What do we need? Why are we doing that? And what does it mean for the business? I think anyone in the startup business, but I think in any case, you know, in any change that we are trying to initiate in any resource that we're trying to ask for, you always think of the business case and how does that translate into value yeah. for the business and you. Yeah, a good business case to put forward, right? Yeah, the business yeah. is very important. It's going to be something that you'll be doing for the rest of your career. Yeah. Listen, let's say somebody really wants to work for the startup and it's now time to sort of look into it and start doing their research. Most roles advertised, and I'm not just saying where you work at Manova, but I'm just sort of in general, do you find that there's a lot of networking going on and that they bring people like they brought you with a phone call and, you know, more yeah. of a personalized way. How is it happening? Do you so, see it? Well, I was lucky enough that I wasn't actively looking for a startup. Like for me, mm. I'm quite contrary to myself. I'm a risk taker, but also I'm risk averse. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I took the risk, but at the time I was like, oh, do I stay in a, you know, established larger firm where there is security and there's all these benefits and I know how things are going to work out or do I take the risk of going to a startup situation where I don't know what the runway looks like, but there's a lot of promise of it and there are good people backing it, you know. There are promising investments. But for people that are looking to get in startup, it is the networking. I think that is always paramount in everything we do. Have the conversations with the people that are in the know of what's happening. Some of these startups are, you know, are forming with the, you need the people in there to build the business. So they're already forming the back end, but you may have never heard of them. So, you know, keep track of the startup daily newsletters of what's happening, the, read the articles get on the podcast and I, I think startup daily has their own podcast as well yeah um, yeah and keep your finger on the pulse with like stone and chalk and hub and all of that those startup networks because yeah i think that that's where you'll see some of those news and make those connections and it's a word of mouth which um, the people the contacts that you have that are in investments and from equity and capital groups 
Yeah. At the time of the recording, though, as, as we have this chat, I noticed that there are two roles advertised by Maneuver on LinkedIn, and they're pretty standard roles. One is legal counsel, and the mm -hmm. other one is risk management. Do you expect them to be filled out by people that have startup experience? No. Or do you, do you have now? We are actually, well, at the moment, there's a lot of shift in the big banks, you know, as they are realigning their profit margins, et cetera. So we are seeing a lot of candidates coming from big banks, established mm -hmm. groups, not necessarily startups. The questions for me when we do the interview is, why do you want to move from big to a small? And I paint the picture quite realistically of what to expect. Some of the challenges that you don't have now, you will have here, you know, being able to be resilient, being flexible and being patient as we mature and, you know, mature our processes, systems and the way we work because it's not established. We will continue to evolve and it will continue evolving because we're scaling so quickly. You know, at the moment we're focused on national, but then it's global. Things are moving all the time. We're still writing SOPs for certain businesses because we don't have them. Because that's what the startup is. You know, yes. if you're reactive, you it's always your 80% you're reactive, 20% proactive, but you're wanting to move to 80% proactive and 20% reactive. So it's a constant battle, <laughs> but rewarding. Yes. When we were exchanging emails, you mentioned that the interview process is very unstructured or somewhat unstructured. I can't remember yes. the exact word. Yes. And I'm sure you're comparing this with other places that you've worked. And I know that this is very standard in the startup world, right? So do you think that that actually is already a good sign for the candidates as to what to expect? You know, don't expect things to be too structured here because this is a yeah. startup. So Yes, yeah. correct. I mean, it's a bit of both. It's the fact that we probably haven't, got the resource to structure like a three-stage interview with testing or all of that but at the same time we don't want to be doing that and depending on the function and the team the ask is different so in our sales team they'll put through they will be asked to set up a sales strategy or sales model or demonstrate how they can scale or you know, strategize on growing our domestic market, for example. But for risk, it'll be very different. You know, it's all about what they've done, how they've problem solved, you know, alerts previously, how can they translate what they've done in the big banks to what we do here and what to expect, you know, and legal as well. It's less structured. No one has a set remit in the team. Everyone is across all the contracts, all the APRA asks, all the ASIC don't, everyone is across everything. So what I hear is people get to learn a lot more, but yes, you are doing everything. <laughs> but you get to learn a lot quicker, obviously, being, being hands-on, but can be you know, very challenging in terms of managing priorities. Yeah. For somebody who then joins a startup, do you think that the 90 days format of getting ready and sort of easing yourself into planning and strategy, do you find that that is still applicable to a startup world or is there some sort of other way of doing this that's more aligned with yeah. the culture? I think the 90 days will definitely be condensed a little. <laughs> and it's not because we don't dedicate time to onboard our staff properly. 
But mm. because it's smaller, you get to have one-on-one tactical um, onboarding experience and training at a much you know faster and pointed environment. So you get to be carried on to the training and the doing quite quickly because we obviously need all our staff to be doing as much as they can, but at when they are ready. So, yeah, yeah, we want our people to get their feet on the table, do the research, we give them all the training and all the resources that they need, but it's a lot faster onboarding process in terms of on-the-job learning. Because you can- I agree. Yeah. No, no, just in general, you know, like working with clients globally, I have yeah. found that if you're joining a startup, yes, keep your 90 days books by your side. That's all fine. But <laughs> you're not, you're not going table. to. No, no, no. And CEOs of startups as well. And I know that when they're hiring, it's because they have an emergency that yes. is hyper growth. Right. And whoever they're hiring need to, you know, hit yes. the ground running. And we needed them yesterday because yes. I you plan sometimes changes. That's the beauty of it as well. It can pivot quite quickly. We have, we can be very quick in reacting to what's happening out, you know, in the macro environment or business environment. But at the same time, when that decision is made, it's like, okay, we need that person right now. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. So that's the pro and cons of it. Things can change very quickly, but also, you know, some things don't change. Yeah. <laughs> Continue because we're trying to fight resource between scaling and also getting it right. You know, it's a bit of both. Getting the beer, you yeah. getting at the house, but also how do we grow and, you know, influence out in the market? How do we scale quickly? So it's both priorities that we've yeah. had before. So with the interview process, I'm always involved at some point. Obviously, we're not a big organization where we there's structured HR first, you know, the vetting. It's not always like that. Sometimes the reporting manager reaches out directly, has that direct conversation, or they come from, you know, networks. And then, but at some point, I come in and paint the truth of what is expected. As I said, you know, it's not going to be all roses. You have a lot of yeah. influence, a lot of ability to take this career as far as you want to. Um, but you know, you will need to do a lot of self leading as well we can put in the best practices but sometimes you know we are pulled quite thin in terms of priorities and depending on what's happening so when people i prepare them so when they start it's usually the one that are super excited going <laughs> they don't usually they actually don't not the ones that want the 90 days settle in they want to hit the ground running usually yeah no, that makes sense. And the other thing, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Netflix manifesto, but I'm very fan of it. Yeah. It was leaked a decade ago and when Netflix was like a hyper growth, getting out of that sort of blockbuster scenario and going in what it is today. Yeah, no, it's a, and it's an interesting slide deck. It has over 100 slides, but I think it's kind of, it, it was used for onboarding, but it was also an educational piece for the employees to understand that things change very quickly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you have to be ready for whatever change. Now, we could be acquired by somebody. We could decide to pivot completely. And all of a sudden, all of the work that you're doing disappears and you have to be okay with it. And I think that that is a good slide deck reading material for my clients to understand what it means to work in an organization that's constantly trying to find its feet. Correct. 
right? And the importance of understanding that risk is okay, mm-hmm. you know, like you chose between, you know, a, a more structured organization and a startup with a little bit of risk that you found paid off. And I think that that's how people need to consider as well in terms of planning their career ahead, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When do you add the risk? So, for example, when I think about what you said before, you can opt into it now after, you know, having had your kids more probably now squeeze, you know, like that's the right time. Whereas if they were too little, you know what I mean? Like you have yeah. to balance things off. Look, if you looked at what I did since Alex was born, it sounds crazy. <laughs> we probably moved three or four times, moved interstate away from everyone went from KPMG to CBA in a different state. And then I took this job when Alex was, would have been two. So two. Oh, wow. Yes. I took this job when Alex is two and knowing that, you know, everyone, all of my friends that are in startups and quite senior jobs, like CEOs and, and whatnot, chief of staff, they're like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, it's not CBA in terms of, you're going to have a lot of influence. You're going to have a lot of, you know, in that role, but it's tough. You know, you'll be working nights. We, you know, sometimes I work 20, you know, 24 seven, not 24 seven, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you get six hours of sleep depending on what it is. He's like, do you want to do this? And I had one friend who was like, listen, this is, you know, Alex is young. You're a single mom. Don't do this to yourself. <laughs> don't do this to yourself. Spend some time with them. They're going to go very quickly. I know. Don't miss out, you know, don't, You'll feel guilty about it. I took that in. I took that on board and I thought about it. But after meeting Christian, our CEO, who's Swedish, you know, a a male champion for females in tech, females, everything, equity, laying down my expectations as well. You know, I will do everything for this business to succeed, achieve and all our goals and objectives and what we plan to do. I'm part of now the fabric. But yeah. I also expect a level of you know, trust for me to be able to sustain this life, this balance. I think that's important. And I think these days. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And I think these days we're doing that much better. You know, everyone's competing against the work and life. And mm-hmm. patients. Work needs to fit into our lives now more than ever, ever since COVID. COVID was <laughs> the silver lining of what's been happening, you know. Yeah, we've seen a huge shift. I love that. And, you know, having worked with hundreds of women now, that 70, 80% of the time opt for this other sliding door. Mm, yes. What I have found, and, you know, there's research on this as well, is that when you get stuck in middle management or you get sort of stuck in that sort of what you believe is a safe environment for you because it's not too taxing on your family. Yes. You actually have way more stress. Yes. You have less options, potentially less money. Yes. And way more stress. And the middle management as well usually gets the hardest cut when it's restructure time. Yes, correct. And they're being pulled and pushed because they're in the middle. (laughs) Yeah. 
But when you're making the decision, Emily, mm. not many women choose to do what you did. <laughs> and there is not a lot of support as well, yeah. you know, in terms of family and friends saying, are you sure? You know, because they want to protect you. They love you and they want you to do well. Yeah, so, you know, usually family tend to, everybody tends to play more conservatively. So Everybody wants to play safe. But unfortunately, I'm a risk taker. In time. I'm always looking for that thrill. But also for me, the passion and the purpose is really important to me. Awesome. I think everything else will follow once you get that right. It's not always easy, but I've, for the last 18 months, I've never questioned what I was getting out of bed for or what I was doing. So, yes, it's very rewarding in that sense. And I've got to keep the balance with, you know, my personal life. So I'm very grateful. Yeah. <laughs> well, lovely. You know what? I'm glad you're in Sydney. The weather here is horrible. Alex <laughs> wouldn't want to be here. Very I bet happy. your family now, they all want to move to Sydney with you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be great. Listen, do you have any final advice to give professionals keen to transition into startup? Is there anything we haven't discussed that you might want to bring up? All I want to say is I think it's important that you people are fulfilled in what they do and they are true to themselves and what gets them out of bed. Work doesn't have to be work. <laughs> you need It's a huge part of your lives forever. I mean, until you obviously retire. But do what you like to do. There's always an opportunity to be doing what you like to do or be in an organisation that you're passionate or doing a different role from what you're doing you know take that risk yes as much as you can afford to <laughs> yes lovely now I like that Emily thank you so much once again for thank finding the you. time during the day now I feel even more guilty oh, <laughs> I know that you're a single mom don't be silly at all it's been a pleasure chatting through uh, thank you I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you keep in touch Please subscribe wherever you found this podcast. And if you're inspired and motivated to keep going, check out other episodes. You can also learn more about my services as a career coach in the episode show notes and on my website, renatabernardi.com. That's R-E-N-A-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-R-D-E.com. Ciao for now.